Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Romans. And let's look at chapter 12. We're going to look at verse 2 for a while this morning. We're talking about being transformed. I know for a fact that what I behold and what you behold is what you will become. What I open my mind to will get down into my spirit. And so it's very important what we think on, what we dwell on. It is so important that once we're born again, we get busy about the business of renewing our mind. And as our minds are renewed, we will become transformed. We will become conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 12 too, don't you be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want the will of God. I want the will of God for my life. I want the will of God for Brenda. I want the will of God for the people in this church. And I know that renewing our mind is a major key to prosperity in our lives. The great John, beloved of God, one of the apostles known as the father of faith, said this at the end of his life in ministry. He said, beloved, I wish or I pray that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Now your soul is made up of your mind and your will and your emotions. And it is the will of God for you and I to have a prosperous soul. To think like Him, to talk like Him, and to act like Him. Your life will prosper in direct proportion to the prosperity of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Your mind, my mind needs renovation. Your mind, my mind needs restoration. And I'm not just talking about occasionally. We need to wash ourselves with the water of the word of God every day. This world is polluted. This world is corrupt. There are influences in this world that will try to corrupt your mind. But oh, thank God you can take the labor of the word of God. And you can wash your soul. You can wash your life with the word of God. And it will cleanse you and purify you and enable you to think the thoughts of God. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. God's word translation says it this way. Don't become like the people of this world. Instead, change the way that you think. Can I, can you change how you think? You absolutely can. Philip's translation says, don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold. This old world's got a mold. And they just love to squeeze you into their mold. But rather, glory to God, let God remold you. Let God remold you. 
Let God put you into the class of the new creation. Let God put you in the class of the workmanship created in the image and likeness of God. Amen. Amen. Now, there are some things that we've got no business thinking about. We got no business thinking about lack. We got no business thinking about sickness and disease. We got no business thinking about how poor we are. I got news for you. You ain't poor. Because your God ain't poor. Now he was made poor. But through his poorness, you could be rich. We got no business thinking about and talking about, oh man, this nation's going down the tubes. I found a scripture in the word of God that the government is not upon the Democrat's shoulder. The government is not upon the Republican's shoulder, but the government is upon his shoulder. Now I thought you'd help me out just a little bit. We do not look to this nation to meet our needs. Are you listening to me? We are of another nation. We are a peculiar generation, a holy nation. Amen. We are representatives of the king and we are part of the kingdom of almighty God. Now there are distractions. I will grant you that. There are things that will knock on the door of your soul every day. And if you let the enemy in to the city of your soul, you're in trouble. Are you listening to me? If you entertain his thoughts long enough and not cast down his imaginations or pull down his strongholds, sooner or later, you'll be down. Sooner or later, you'll be cast down. And that's why I encourage you Sunday after Sunday, week after week, month after month, year after year, to get this word in you. Let it dwell in you richly so that you've got your sword sharp so that when he comes, you can wield it against him. So that you can put that lion's stinking, losing, abusing, accusing enemy on the run. God's got a list, you know. I said, God's got a list. And there are certain things that are on God's list that are not on the devil's list. Look at Philippians chapter four, verse eight. I'll show you what I mean. Philippians, the fourth chapter, the eighth verse. Oh, thank you, Father, for your word today. May it lodge deep within our souls. And may we do the will of God. In Philippians, the fourth chapter in the eighth verse, it says, finally, my brethren. Now notice God's list. You could call this message God's list. Finally, my brethren and sistren too. Whatsoever things are what? True, number one. Whatsoever things are? Number two. Whatsoever things are? Number three. Whatsoever things are? Number four. Whatsoever things are? Number five. Whatsoever things are of? Number six. If there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, once in a while, if you get around to it, if it's convenient, think on these things. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are to 
think on these things. This is God's list. Now, you probably have seen shows, you probably have seen movies, where there were certain dinners, there were certain places that people had to be on the list to get in. And sometimes you see those movies and people are lined up sometimes around the block. And they come to the door and there is a bouncer. Every mind needs a good bouncer. And they say, what is your name, sir? My name is Charles Jones. Let's see, Mr. Jones. Charles Jones. Your name is not on the list. You can't get in. Well, Satan lines up sometimes around the block to get into the city of your soul. But we've got a bouncer at the door. His name is the Holy Ghost. And when he comes and knocks on your door and says, yes, I'm depression, let me in. The bouncer, hallelujah, has to reject those thoughts because it's not on the list. And that's what the Bible is saying. We're to cast down strongholds. We are to bind up the strong man. And we are not to permit what's not on the list into our thinking. That's right. Amen. Don't permit it. Don't permit it. Those thoughts of failure, don't permit it. You see, the enemy will tell you that you are a failure. Question mark, is that on the list? You are not a failure. You have failed. I have failed, even moi. But I am not ever going to say that I am a failure. Because I am not a failure. Neither are you a failure. You are a new creation. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You may have failed, but you're not a failure. Well, Pastor Mark, what do I do? I have failed. I know I'm not a failure. Let me tell you something John Maxwell said years ago. He said, if you're going to fail, fail forward. See, what most people do is when they fail, they fail backwards. And what do I mean by that? They fail, they mess up, they miss it. Amen. And instead of getting up and dusting themselves off and learning from their stupidity and their mistakes... They go backward and they backslide. And that's exactly what the devil wants. He doesn't want the people of God to learn from their mistakes. He wants to beat up the people of God and condemn the people of God and make the people of God feel like they're dirt. And make the people of God feel like, well, they can't come to church because they have failed. Listen, this church is a place where people have failed, but we're not centering in on the failures. We're centering in on the victory and there's nothing that can separate us from God's love for us. Now, I don't want to turn this into a failure method 
message. But if you have failed, don't fail backwards. Get up, praise God. Plead the blood of Jesus over your life. And declare that the greater one indwells me. And I'm moving on to higher heights in God. You see, there are some thoughts of the wicked one that we must forsake. You know, the devil would just love you to believe that he's got the upper hand. He would just love you to believe that there is absolutely no way out of your present circumstance. He'd have you to believe that, you know, you are stuck in this circumstance. That you are stuck in a life of lack. And that you are stuck in the position you are in. And you will never ever make it out. That is a lie. Who told you that? Is your stuck on the list? It ain't on the list. So if it's not on the list, let's reject it. Let's get rid of it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. Let's look at this and let's understand that we are not stuck. He is basically the one that is stuck. And he's going to be stuck for eternity in the bottomless pit. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. And he will not suffer you to be tempted above your ability. Come on, somebody. God's given you ability to be unstuck. But he will with the temptation also make a way of escape. And his name is Jesus. The very reality that you are facing a problem and the reality of this scripture tells us that the solution existed long before the problem ever showed up. I said your solution existed long before the problem ever showed up. Oh, glory to God. And not only that, your problems have an expiration date. Hey, problems come and problems go. But I serve a God who does not change. I serve a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but this situation's got an expiration date. It's manifestation time. It's glory time. It's goodness of the Lord time in my life. Come on, somebody help me this morning. Get rid of that lie. You ain't stuck. You're not a failure. The devil's a liar. The very fact that he's telling you a failure is basically because he knows he is a failure. Listen, man, he's the ultimate failure. There was a time and a day he said, I'm going to be like the Most High God. I'm going to rise up and I'm going to be better than God. What happened to him? He failed. He failed. He is an eternal Failure, and you are an eternal victor. Amen. I said you are an eternal victor. You are an eternal winner. No matter what your bank account looks like. No matter what your body feels like. Hey, you're on the winning side. You're on the winning team. You are more than a conqueror through him that loved us. 
You know what more than a conqueror is, don't you? More than more than a conqueror is way out beyond being just a conqueror. Let's illustrate it like this. Let's say that the heavyweight champion of the world is going to defend his title. And the defender that wants to take the title is training day and night. I mean, he's from Oaktown, all right? And he's working it. And he's getting cut. And he's getting tough. While the champion's out there drinking champagne and smoking this and smoking that, this guy from Oaktown is about the business. And he's getting himself in condition. And the heavyweight fight is coming soon. And so this guy over here is getting ready. And the purse for winning the heavyweight champion of the world is $10 million. Now I could use $10 million. And so the night of the fight comes along. And the heavyweight champion of the world is disdaining this defender from Oakland. But in the third round, out of nowhere, comes a left hook. And then a right hook. And then a left upper cut. And the champion... He goes down. And he doesn't get up at the 10 count. And so there's complete bedlam at the Oakland Coliseum. The son of Oakland has won the heavyweight championship of the world. He conquered the heavyweight. He's a conqueror. In the locker room, they're doing interviews. And they're patting him on the back. And then they bring him this check for $10 million. He's a conqueror. He's happy. He celebrates a while, but he wants to get home to his lovely wife, Deborah. Because Deborah didn't want to go to the fight because she was fearful he might get conquered, but he is the conqueror. So he drives across town. And he's got this $10 million check in his hand. He's the conqueror. Hallelujah. And then he pulls up in his driveway. And Deborah runs out in the driveway to greet him. He hands her the check. She just became more than a conqueror. She just became more than a conqueror. And that's what Jesus did for you. Now, he was down for the one count. He was down for the two count. He was down for the three count. But the God of the universe raised him up from the dead. He is the heavyweight champion of the universe. He conquered death, hell, and the grave for you and for me. He is the all-conquering one. Woo! He is the all-sufficient one. He is El Shaddai. He is the one who has conquered, who will conquer, and still conquers. But then there came a day where he met his disciples. And he said, all hail. He said, all power is given unto me. In heaven and earth. He says, you see these keys, boys? These are the keys of hell and death. But I want you to know, I'm going to take my conquering power and I'm going to transfer it to you. Now you have become all powerful. You have become more than conquerors in me. 
So take the keys of the kingdom and take this all-conquering power and drive the devil out of your mind. Drive the devil out of your family. Drive the devil out of your finances. Drive the devil out of every area of your life. You see, we are more than conquerors. But not through Mark, not through Jimmy, not through Aaron, not through Buddha, not through Muhammad. But we are more than more than. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. See, the victory that you have is because of him. It's not who you are, it's whose you are. It's not what you can do, it's what can he do. Hallelujah. And we ought to say it real strong right now. Say it with me. I can do all things through Christ the anointed one and his anointing which strengthens me. You see, you and I are equipped to face the enemy. We are not helpless pawns at the hands of someone more powerful than we are. Now, if you look after the flesh, he's more powerful than our flesh. But we're not looking at our lives through eyes of the flesh. We look at our lives through eyes of the new creation. We need to look at our lives the way that he, the all-powerful one, looks at us. And he looks at you when he sees you and he looks at me as a son. He looks at you and he looks at me as heirs of God and as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He does not see life the way that many people see it. He does not see our lives being beaten up and destroyed by a destroyer that he already whooped. Come on now. He he doesn't see our lives as being reigned on and dominated. But he sees you and he sees me as heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And he sees us reigning in life. He sees us winning in life. He sees us reigning in life to the degree that he looks at your life and my life as if we were kings. We are to reign in life as kings through Jesus Christ. I want you to know, saints, Satan does not have the upper hand in our lives. He may think he does. He may try to convince us that he does. But the mere reason that he's trying to convince us that he has the upper hand is because, in fact, he has an inferiority complex. He knows he's whooped. He knows he's a wimp. He knows he's under our feet. He's trying to keep that revelation from the body of Christ. He's trying to sell them a lie so that they could buy into his lie. But he don't have the upper hand over me. He don't have the upper hand over you, does he? I mean, what if somebody knocks at your door at 3 o'clock in the morning? Are you going to answer that door and let him in? Trying to get the upper hand over your, your goods, your family? No, you're going to rise up. 
something on the inside of you is going to rise up. And if you have a gun in the house, that's sure enough going to rise up. I mean, we might just well be honest about it. We got the right to bear arms. And I don't have any arms, but I'm armed and dangerous with something more dangerous than a pistol. I got the sword of the Spirit. I got the word of the living God. I got the blood of Jesus. So you get a knock on the door. Someone trying to get in. Someone trying to rob you. How many of you know the devil's a robber? How many know he's a thief? He comes up for to steal, kill, and destroy. But the Bible says we can resist him with our faith. And that's what we need to do with the lies of the enemy. See, the enemy wants to have a place in your mind. And that's why it says in Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. Don't give place to his thoughts. Now let's look quickly over at Numbers chapter 13. Are you getting anything today? See, it is true that the scripture says that he will keep us in perfect peace. That word perfect there is shalom, shalom. When we keep our mind set or our mind stayed upon him. Now, in Numbers, the 13th chapter, right at the end of the chapter, this context is where that God told Moses, I have given you the land. And so Moses sent out 12 spies to spy out the land. And we know that 10 of them brought back an evil report, did they not? And their knees were knocking because they took their mind, listen now, they took their mind off of what God said. And something got into the city of their soul and started to distract them. And so in distracting them, the enemy was able to keep them and their relatives out to the point where their carcasses were overthrown in the wilderness. But only two people got in, and the later generation got in, and that was Joshua and Caleb. See, Joshua and Caleb didn't entertain the thoughts that came to their minds. Now, every sanctified saint has had thoughts come to their mind that their hearts detested. Are you listening to me? We've all had suggestions and reasonings come to our mind that we knew were not true. And that's why it is so important, man, we're getting in a good flow this second service. That's why it is so important not to take the enemy's thoughts by saying them. Well, what are we going to eat? And, you know, what are we going to drink? And where are we going to live? Hey, listen, God's got all that for you. Don't voice what Satan puts in your mind. Oh man, I'm, I'm so afraid I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die young. Uncle Harry had this, not Sally had this. And I know this sickness and disease runs in my family. And I know I might just be next. No. That's a lie of the enemy. You need to examine that and cast that down. Besides that, you're in a new family. You got a new father. And royal blood flows through your veins. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you at Numbers 13? Oh, glory. Glory, glory, glory. Verse 27. They came back, knees knocking. They said they came to the land which you sent us. And yeah, it flows with milk and honey. and, And here's the fruit. But. Unbelief always has a big but. 
Are you listening to me? But the people who dwell there are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, man, the sons of Anak were there. And they were of great stature and courage. Verse 29. Amalek dwells in the land of the south. And he goes on to say all those things. And they said, you know, we just can't make it. But notice Caleb, verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people. He said, now settle down here, guys. And he said, let us go up at once and possess the land for what? For we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with them said, we are not able. So God said they're able, right? Right? God said they're able and they said we're not able. All right. We're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Well, yeah. They were stronger than them, but they're not stronger than God. And notice this. And they brought up an evil report. Now, remember we read Philippians 4.8? Is an evil report on the list? So what should they have done with that evil report? Cast it down. And they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched under the children of Israel, saying... Now, yeah, the land is, it's a good land, but it eats up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people we saw in it, they are men of great stature. Now, notice, here's what happened. Here's what it boiled down to for them. And there we saw the giants. Were they moved by what they saw? You know, you cannot afford to be moved by what you see. For we walk by faith. And not by sight. For there we saw the giants and the sons of Anak, which were come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Listen, my brothers and sisters, how you carry yourself, how you see yourself will oftentimes determine how other people see you. They saw themselves whipped. Listen, you and I are children of God. And we should be confident. We should carry around an air of confidence with us. Not an air of superiority, but an air of assurance. An air of boldness. Their unbelief reduced them to seeing themselves as grasshoppers. And thus... The giants that were in the land, that were really bred for them, that were really nothing in the sight of God, they saw them the same way they saw themselves. I got a question for you. Is it important what you see when you look at yourself? That's why it's so vital to look into the mirror of God's word. And see the image of God in you. So in closing this today, turn quickly to Joshua 2. Joshua, the second chapter. The truth of the matter is, (laughs) they believed a lie and didn't enter in. 
We could say it this way. They really believed that the giants had the upper hand over them. And there's a lot of Christians that believe that the enemy is prevailing over them. But the truth of the matter is, years later, I'll summarize this. Years later, Joshua and Caleb are left. And they're ready to take over the land. Amen? And so Joshua, instead of sending out 12 spies, he sent out two spies. He learned from some experience, did he not? You know, I'd rather have two people in agreement than 400 people just all over the place. Are you listening to me? And so he sent those spies out. They ended up at a harlot's house by the name of Rahab. And Rahab helped them out, did she not? And Rahab, as a result of her obedience, glory to God, entered into covenant with God. But here's the thing. Rahab said something very enlightening to them. Rahab told them what the actual truth was. In in uh, Joshua 2.11, look at that. Joshua, the second chapter. Verse 11 now. Verse 11. And as soon as we heard these things, you see, they heard about how that God split the Red Sea for them. They heard about what God had done for them. They heard about how God had the upper hand over them. And when they heard these things, their hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man. Listen, read it with me. Because of you, for the Lord your God in heaven above and in earth beneath. The truth of the matter is, Satan is afraid of you. Don't buy his lie that he's got the upper hand. You and I have got the upper hand. I tell you, the right hand of the Lord is manifesting in those who will believe the report of the Lord. Amen. They were afraid of them, but the ten brought back an evil report, convinced that they had the upper hand. Come on, somebody. Help me out. God is always on top. God is always has the upper hand. And you know, you've been raised up together with Jesus. And you've been made to sit together with him. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've said a lot this morning. And I've said what I'm going to say. But I'm going to stop by saying. Get your mind fixed on him. Think like him. And over a process of time. You will have no more down days. But you will have days of heaven upon the earth. Amen. Let's raise our hand and say I believe it. And I receive it, Pastor. In the name of Jesus. Let's all stand to our feet right now and thank Him for what we've heard. Oh, glory to God. Glory to God.